The TNT Shop has great gift ideas for your furry family member at tntradio.live. Critically analyzing national affairs. You're with David Curtin on today's News Talk TNT. Welcome to the David Curtin Show. Thank you for joining me again. If you join me every day, or if you're just new today, welcome to the show. I'm David Curtin here on today's News Talk TNT. Now, in the UK, the big story, of course, is the Rochdale by-election, which has resulted in a political earthquake, which very rarely happens in this country because we are captured by the Uniparty, fake Conservatives, Labour, Lib Dems and Greens, SNP in Scotland, all acting in lockstep together to ruin our nation. But what happened last night was a crack in the wall, a crack in the foundations of that uniparty. Now, I don't agree with everything that George Galloway says. I'm on the right. Obviously, he's on the left. We wouldn't agree on economic policies, but we do agree on many, many things, not least the fact that he is anti-war, I am anti-war again. He has stood up over the decades against the UK getting involved in wars in Iraq, in bombing Libya, in bombing Syria, in giving weapons to the Zelensky regime in Ukraine, trying to escalate war with Russia, which could lead to World War III. And he's also called for a ceasefire in Gaza, seeing the horror of what is happening to the Palestinian people there and has been happening over the last few months. We hear worse and worse stories about what's happening to those people as the days go on and the situation is not improving. So I don't see how anyone could oppose a ceasefire so that there are people there who are not party to what happened on the 7th of October, the innocent people will stop being abused by the collective punishment that they are under. Nevertheless, this election in the UK has had something to do with Gaza and has also had something to do with the UK as well. George Galloway was unashamed in his campaign. He says, for Rochdale, for Gaza. Rochdale has been changed demographically hugely over the last two or three decades. It's now one of 40 or 50 seats in the UK where there is a large Muslim majority and they can sway and swing the results of the election, particularly if there is a low turnout. And there was a low turnout in the Rochdale by-election yesterday. It was only 40% down from 60% in the election. So Undoubtedly, a lot of Muslims had gone out to vote for George Galloway and returned him as their MP. He only got 12,000 votes. I mean, I say only because he was twice got twice as many votes as the next nearest contender, who actually, surprisingly, was an independent um, who got 20% of the votes. George Galloway got 40% of those that turned out. Um, but... What that actually means is 60% of voters didn't bother to go and vote in the by-election. The Labour vote collapsed, the Tory vote, fake Conservative vote collapsed, and George Galloway uh, came through the middle and won. But he did run a good campaign, which inspired the people there who wanted something different to the Uniparty, which has let them down, and also wanted someone to speak up up against the horrors of what's happening in Gaza. That's fair enough. He has his free speech. And the people who live there who are on the electoral register have the right to vote as they want to. 
Now, George Galloway amusingly said after the election result came out in his speech, Keir Starmer and Rishi Sunak are two cheeks of the same backside, and they both got well and truly spanked tonight. I think that's absolutely brilliant. And he did give them a good spanking. But they don't just need a spanking, they need an eviction from the House of Commons, the Houses of Parliament, so that we can get in people who are on the side of the people, MPs who are on the side of the people, uh, whichever side of the political spectrum they're on. The other party that got a bit of a spanking last night as well is Reform UK. They actually, I think, expected to win the election, but heaven knows why they picked Simon Danchuk as their candidate, a person who was the former MP for the constituency between 2010 and 2017, but was suspended from the Labour Party in 2015 for making inappropriate texts to a 17-year-old girl. Why they put him up as their candidate in a town that is known for suffering from the horror of grooming gangs, I don't know. But they came in sixth place, nowhere near the position they thought they were going to uh, come into, which shows really that they're not going to make any headway in the northern red wall seats, which are similar to Rochdale and, uh, and the like. Now, of course, what this means is Labour and the fake Conservatives, to some extent, or are victims, or actually, no, I wouldn't say victims is the right word, they're getting what they deserve. They have both pursued rapid mass immigration into the UK for the last 30 years, whether it's Labour in power or the fake Conservatives in power. The immigration figures for 2023 were also released yesterday, and they are horrendous. We have the highest number of visas being given out to study and work in the UK that we ever have had. Legal and illegal immigration are at record highs or near record highs. We have 1.4 million people coming to the country, migrating to the UK legally through work and student visas, way, way above anything that we've seen before the lockdown period. And there's also nearly 30,000 people have come that we know of illegally in small boats across the channel. But that doesn't include uh, people who get lost as they come in on the back of lorries. They have supported mass immigration, particularly Labour uh, in their time, supporting mass immigration from the Middle East and so on, hoping that they would get many people into to come and vote for them in the elections. But that demographic, the demographic of Muslims that they've so far relied on to return Labour MPs in seats like Rochdale are now abandoning the Labour Party, and this time they voted for George Galloway. Long may that continue, and long may the fake Conservatives and Labour continue to get spanked in by-elections and also in the general election as well. This is today's News Talk TNT. Getting straight to the facts. Enough with the lies. We need facts. This is today's News Talk Radio TNT. Welcome back to the David Curtin Show. I'm David Curtin here on today's News Talk TNT. And I have with me today the wonderful Basil Valentine. Welcome to the show, Basil. 
Great to be with you, David, and hello to our viewers and listeners all around the world. I'd like to pick up on what you were talking about, actually, the uh, political earthquake that George Galloway unleashed in Rochdale uh, and Keir Starmer's response to it. This is how deluded this man is. Starmer said this morning, Galloway only won because Labour didn't stand a candidate. I regret that we had to withdraw candidates and apologise to voters in Rochdale. But I took that decision. It was the right decision. And when I say I changed the Labour Party, I mean it. Obviously, we will put a first class candidate, a unifier, before the voters in Rochdale. Uh, you know, Galloway, Starmer is kidding himself if he thinks the only reason one is because Labour withdrew its support from Azar Ali. Uh, I had already placed a small wager on Galloway winning the seat before Labour withdrew its support for Azar Ali. And bizarrely enough, uh, so in, the, in terms of the bookmakers and, and where the money was going on the betting, the odds on Ali, the disowned Labour candidate, shortened when Labour disowned him. Wow. In other words, the bookies thought he was more likely to win without the support of the Labour Party <laughs> than with it. Why? Well, not only because people realise that Keir Starmer is an empty suit, and that's an insult to tailoring, uh, but also because, believe it or not, genocide is unpopular. So, you know, Galloway was the anti-death candidate. The other mm. key anti-death candidate was David Tully, uh, who came second. I mean, almost mm. more remarkable than George Galloway winning. This guy got 6,000 votes. No previous experience in politics, but a family-run vehicle repair business in the constituency for over 50 years. And he promised to be the voice of the people of Rochdale in Parliament. In many ways, I think it's a great shame that he didn't make it. But, you know, you put Galloway and Tully together, they got 18,000 votes between them. And the mm. so-called main parties didn't get a third of that. It's absolutely mm. extraordinary uh, and is indicative of the huge appetite for change among the British electorate. Yeah, absolutely. Wherever I go, people are fed up of the parties that they've got in Parliament as well. But um, what we've seen in previous by-elections to this is that the turnout is so low, um, people are just abandoning the fake Conservatives. Labour, are their votes are actually going down in most places, but yes. not as much as the Tories, which means that they're winning right. some by-elections, but not because they're inspiring. It's just because their, their vote is not collapsing as much as the other parties. But this really is a change. And uh, maybe it needs you know someone like George Galloway to do that. I mean, it's very interesting you mentioned David Tully because he's a local man as well. So, you know, it's nice if uh, you, a constituency returns a local um, person rather than someone yes. who is a superstar. You know, George Galloway goes around Bradford, Batley, Tower Hamlets, you know, um, Rochdale. He started uh, the, a party, you know, in Scotland as well. So he goes around the country but yes, you know exactly. he is a character and and he he does the job you know and he has done the job That's last right. night so so good on him uh david's um, unexpected success highlights the impact of community ties 
and grassroots involvement. Wouldn't it be mm. nice to see that replicated up and down the country? Of course, our first-past-the-post system makes it very difficult for independents like David uh, to get elected. Um, mm. But I've got a feeling that, you know, that might change this year, David. I, I really do hope so. 75% uh, mm. of voters in Britain are unhappy with both Labour and Conservative. So, you know, the opening is there. There's a left-wing slate uh, called Oryx, O-R-I-C-S, and they are endorsing individual left-wing candidates against sitting pro-genocide Labour MPs, mm. including Mr. Margarine West Streeting and Keir Starmer himself, who faces mm. a very serious challenge from Andrew Feinstein, the uh, Jewish South African former member of the South African Parliament for the ANC. You can say what you like about it, but he's a formidable intellect and can mm. absolutely run rings around Starmer. I think it would be great if the Labour Party was decapitated yes. at the next general election. Uh, uh, that would surely mean the end of Starmer's career. Oh, that would be absolutely incredible, wouldn't it? If Sir Keir Starmer uh, was ousted by someone on the left um, who supports peace, um, while he exactly. is dillied and dallied and dithered about um, supporting the people of Palestine and and uh, you know calling for what, them what, not what, to be genocided and, and ethnically exactly. cleansed. What 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 annoys me uh, about the reaction of the main political parties? Uh, is that they're not prepared to own up to the fact that they are uniquely unpopular. Rishi mm. Sunak has come out and described the Rochdale by-election as one of the most divisive in recent times. Uh, on what basis is he claiming that? You know, where's his evidence? You know, basically, he doesn't yeah. like the results. It's as simple as that. Uh, and he's claimed his party at least ran a positive campaign. Really? You know? Well, I don't think his party ran any campaign. It seemed that their, their candidate was absent. And at one point they said he'd gone on holiday because he didn't turn up to the hustings. Um, but these are words that people just throw out when they haven't got anything intelligent to say and when they haven't got any policies. Uh, this was divisive. This is extreme. It's anti-Semitic yes. or it's Islamophobic yes. or whatever. Conspiracy. Out, uh, it's all absolute yeah. nonsense. Like if they'd had 14 years of actually being building prosperity and uh, looking after our nation and making the most of the opportunities we've had with Brexit, then, you know, he might actually have some votes. And if he actually, you know, was looking after and keeping children safe and uh, not allowing them to be subjected to all kinds of horrible things in schools and, and uh, this transgender affirmation in hospitals that mutilates kids, this has all happened on his watch as well as mass migration. And um, yes. he's paying the price for it. And Labour would be absolutely the same. Yeah, yeah so, I mean, so there I, we go. I, I've never been a fan of the Conservative Party one way or another, mm. partly because it isn't very conservative, as you know, yeah. David. Uh, it's anything but. It's a sort of, since the days of Margaret Thatcher, it's been a radical, neoliberal, privatising, uh, you mm. know, not really working in the interests of ordinary people. And, and that's really the central message of this election. And I hope it's one that's carried forward to the next election is that ordinary people have had enough and they do not feel that their politicians represent them or their voices in parliament. 
Well said. That's exactly the case. And uh, let's hope that we continue these political earthquakes into the general election. Thanks so much for joining me on the show today, Basil. This is today's News Talk, TNT. TNT's Abby Roberts. People in their early 20s are more likely to be out of work because of ill health than those in their early 40s or even early 50s hello um according to a report laying on i wonder what could have caused that could it be the four years of tyrannical authoritarian you know people under the boot and all the jibby jab jabby jab jibby jib jib that's going to make you feel ill do you know what i mean and like the long covid which is basically um laziness <laughs> oh i've got a t- the amount of people that said honestly that used the covid as an excuse like do you want to come out this weekend oh no i think i'm coming down with the covid i mean good grief just get a get a bloody clue everyone abby roberts on tnt This is today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Welcome back to the David Curtin Show. I'm David Curtin here on today's News Talk TNT. Now, I have a fantastic guest with me on the show today. This is Dr. Claire Craig, who is one of the joint uh, co-chairmen or chair people of HEART, the HEART advisory group, who were so good in speaking for truth in the whole COVID lockdown injection period. And even now, coming into what uh, the powers that be are seeking to do as we go on. Claire, welcome to the show. Thank you ever so much for having me on, David. Oh, great, great to have you on. You you were a, a voice, you were a light in the darkness, along with all your, your fellows there in, in Heart Gym for over the last four years. And, um, you know, we, we were abused, I think, by the government, by the powers that be, by behavioural psychologists and uh, all these top civil servants that, that put in place the lockdowns and the injections and tried to force us to have these things. But when did you realise that, there was something very, very wrong, and what the government was saying that the official line that we were getting was was wrong, and that you needed to stand up against it. So, to be honest, I, I mean, there's some people that can say that they are they knew you from the beginning. You know, there were people mm. that did know from the beginning, but I really wasn't one of them. I I oh. fell for it, and um and I was scared. I was scared by them, and when I wasn't scared about myself anymore, I was still scared about the NHS collapsing or about you know the old pe- old people in my life that I loved. Um, and so it took me until the summer of 2020, really, before I started to see that in my own area of expertise, which was the testing, things really weren't right. And mm. and I could dig into the data and show that to be the case. And then when I published on that. I was viciously attacked. And so obviously that then completely changed my outlook mm. on the whole thing. I was expecting one of two simple scenarios, either you're wrong, here's why, or, oh yeah, we haven't thought of that. Let's let's do something about it. And, yeah. and that, you know, that, I thought that would be it. So when I was then attacked and, and then met yeah. a lot of people who had their own concerns from their area of expertise, then that whole sort of world opened out to me after that. 
Yeah, I mean, this is how science has been totally destroyed in a way. The, the whole scientific method that we've had since Rene Descartes has developed that, that is universally accepted, that, you know, you you present a thesis and an idea, then you test it, you do observations, you make measurements, and then you can see whether what you've, you've theorized is correct or not, and then you expect some intelligent response, like, okay, no, that doesn't work, it's wrong, or, oh, that does work, that's correct, let's amend what we do because of that. But that's gone out of the window now and as you say you you were just attacked and smeared um because of what you said about testing and you know to me the whole idea of testing people that don't have symptoms and then adding them to the figures was completely ridiculous wasn't it and there was all sorts about the testing that was ridiculous i could go on for hours about the testing yeah but i think what you touched on there which is really important is that science and politics have got so many opposites you know in science we're living in a world of uncertainty like that's that's where we live we we are present in a world of uncertainty and where as you brilliantly described what we're always trying to do is show what's wrong we're always out to prove ourselves wrong so that we can learn and and move and and change and so and in that world where you've got uncertainty and nuance you can have civilized debates with people who've got a different view to you and just like try and figure out how we're going to figure out where the truth lies because that's actually what the quest is for for everybody no matter what yeah. your view is but in politics of course politics is a world of certainty where you can't risk being wrong and where nuance hmm. is all a bit awkward really and so you know they couldn't be more opposite and so what was presented as science has been politics the whole way through yeah i noticed that i think is you know i'm coming from a unique position in a way because i've got a background in science i've got a degree in chemistry and i was a science teacher for many years before i got into politics and now i'm in politics but i can see you know what people do in politics is you have to get everything out in a very short sound bite and then people are trying to destroy you if you say something that you know is vaguely contentious or even nuanced and and really then you get alarmism and catastrophism build, builds up and this is what is presented to the public in propaganda terms which is what we needed and then then it went on and the really terrible thing then is if if lock even if lockdowns weren't bad enough then we got these experimental injections as i call them um rolled out and we were all told you have to have these to come out of lockdowns and then if you don't have them you are responsible for um us staying in lockdowns and even causing other people to uh catch a virus and uh, be harmed i mean did you what do you think of the the messages that we got about the injections i mean how wrong were they? I mean, I think the messaging is really the entire story. The whole mm. thing is. And so, you know, when we we're just talking then about politics not being nuanced, that wasn't always mm. the case. If you go back and look at newspaper articles from 100 years ago and, and Hansard from 100 years ago, mm. there was tons of nuance. They were all in the nuance and they were, you know, they were mm. about the details. They were about getting things right. And the media mm. would present in a very highbrow way these complicated discussions. But our media have dumped everything down to so so much mm. and made everything so so emotive um you know present company accepted um <laughs> thank you <laughs> <laughs> but then you you end up in that trap and so you know if you look at the lot since what's happened since 2020 the beginning of that story was fear propaganda the fear propaganda existed because the people didn't trust people to make their own judgment about their own mm. level of risk 
They feel, they thought that they were underestimating their own level of risk. In retrospect, they had it completely right. The fear propaganda has caused immense anxiety disproportionately in younger age groups, which is, you know, slightly mind blowing. But, you know, it has had a hugely harmful effect that we're still we're going to reap the, the effects of for years to come. And it's still very much with us now. Mm. And then when it came to propagandizing the jabs, you know, it was so incredibly extreme when you look at what we what we really knew then and what everybody kind of knows now, because it's actually mostly people do kind of get the complexities of it mm. now. And you just see the lies that were being told. And, you know, it becomes a lie when, when you're sort of not being transparent. That's a sort of first red flag. Um, and then when you're um, when you're. Oh, gosh, I can't remember what I was about to say. But anyway, you know, there's a series of red flags that sort of hint at they're not telling the truth anymore. And um, and those you know were enough of an indicator for some people because what's what mm. i find really interesting is that there was a whole swathe of people with no scientific background whatsoever but they knew they knew <laughs> that mm. this was not right and and so i think that public health officials got this so terribly wrong thinking that you couldn't say to somebody there's nuance in this we don't know all the answers there's going to be risks as well as benefits and we don't know what all those risks are but, you know, already lying to you about the risk you're at, so the benefits are already exaggerated. How about we don't lie about the risks? But mm. there was no... And um, if you remember, the MHRA were very slow about the, the clotting problems with AstraZeneca. And the Telegraph mm. published on that. They were sort of the first newspaper to do that. They did that quite early on. They then got a phone call from the MHRA saying that if they didn't cease and desist, they wouldn't be invited to any more of their press conferences. Wow. So, yeah. So, I mean, that the whole there were so many different aspects of this where the the there was control of this propagandized narrative and you know it's been mm. really really hard to tell the truth in that environment but that, that is astounding there, there's a newspaper who finds something out that is true presents it to the public and then they get a call from some government agencies that don't do this or we're not going to give you any access to us anymore. So they're really impinging on freedom of the press and free speech. I, you know, I hadn't heard that particular um, that particular story about the Telegraph, but I mean that's just indicative of you know how we were we were controlled and manipulated. Look, Claire, don't go away. We're just going to have a quick news break, and we'll be back in a minute. We'll talk some more. This is today's news talk TNT. Attention. Special bulletin, special bulletin, special TNT Radio News. Matt Boyland here with your TNT headlines. Russian President Vladimir Putin has warned the US and NATO are flirting with nuclear war by floating the idea of sending Western troops into Ukraine. The UN has warned more than half a million people are just one step away from famine in Gaza, with many now surviving off animal feed. And Donald Trump has taken a swipe at Democrats, accusing them of engaging in a dirty disinformation campaign to divert attention away from Joe Biden's cognitive decline. Globalist agendas, democratic rights at risk, corruption, propaganda, it never stops. For the news and views silenced by the mainstream media, by government and corporations, vote one. 
TNT Radio. Free speech always has a home here. Stay up to date with the latest live news and current affairs delivered by our lineup of expert commentators and hosts. Listen to TNT Radio anywhere you go. Ask Alexa or Google to play TNT Radio or download the TNT Radio app for free from the App Store or Google Play. Today's news talk. This is TNT Radio. Welcome back to the David Curtin Show here on today's News Talk TNT. And I have with me Claire Craig from Heart, Dr. Claire Craig, who is uh, a hero of the last four years, standing up against government misinformation and about the lockdown and injections and everything that's happened. Uh, now, Claire, we were just talking about the manipulation of the media. And um, there's a story out to today, or quite recently, I believe, in The Telegraph that, that updates something that we we hadn't heard before. Can you tell us about that story and uh, and what they've actually finally had the courage to say? Right. So this is the the same journalist who was responsible for that phone call to the Telegraph. Mm. So she's the health the health editor, and she has written um, recently about the APPG, so the All Party Parliamentary Group on Pandemics, which is headed up by Esther McVeigh and mm. Graham Stringer. And they've discussed all sorts of aspects of it, but they wrote this really damning piece around the role of the MHRA back in October of 2023. And right. the Telegraph have just run with that now. So I think they, they, we could still see the effects of that threatening phone call from way back in early 2021 on the reporting of things that are happening now. But what those politicians were saying, they were calling out the fact that the CEO, Dame June Rain of the MHRA, had boasted about her um, her agency becoming an enabler. She said, we're moving from watchdog to enabler. Like, well, what, who, is she, who is it that she wants to enable? Because mm. that's not what the public need. The public, the only thing between the pharmaceutical companies and the safety of the public is her agency. And we don't need an enabler in that role. We need a watchdog. That's the purpose of her agency is to be a watchdog. And these MPs also exposed how much the MHRA knew early on and, and weren't saying, because like with the propaganda around the fear, they thought they know be knew better that how hmm. risk calculation should be for an individual than that person knew themselves. That sort of immense hubris and arrogance of thinking they knew best, such that hmm. they could know that there were clotting problems, but that wasn't for you and I to know. Wow. I mean, they are supposed to be looking after our health. And so this is why there are safety and uh, procedures in place, and which we've had since the thalidomide disaster. You know, we all know about that. We all know how many people were uh, appallingly affected by that. And uh, and it took years for, for people to realize. Um, the, the thing about these injections that we've got is that the safety procedures were just chopped up and, and thrown away because you're supposed to have 10 years of safety testing. You do phase zero, phase one, phase two, phase three. That takes a number of years to go through all of those phases until something comes to market. But they condensed them all into three months and did them simultaneously and then say, oh, we've done the safety testing. Now we can inject them into 50 million people. I mean, that to me is just a very obvious reason why you couldn't trust anything that they were saying. But, yeah, but well, this exactly. is even worse. Yeah. Mm. 
Yeah, so they, yeah. I mean, what they did is they picked the the vaccine kind of pathway through their regulatory mm. rules, which um, is meant to be for influenza vaccines made using the old-fashioned egg-based methodology, which has, you know, been mm. used for years and years, and you could sort of switch one in, switch one out, and then just sort of fast-track because actually you understood that platform really well. Whereas this was mm. a completely not platform, and they used that track. Like, it was insane to switch to that track, and and yeah. furthermore, there were because they were on that track, there were fundamental questions about the platform that were not asked, and still we don't know about now. So questions mm. like, when you stick this thing into the body that says make spike protein, how much spike protein gets made? For how long? In which parts of the body? How do you get rid of it? Is it the same for everybody? Is it the same for men and mm. women? You know, these are fundamental questions before you give someone a drug. That you know that literally we don't mm. know the answer to. And one of the things that was bothering me this week is that it's not just the spike protein that's caused pathology. So the lipid nanoparticles, which were the delivery system that the RNA mm. was got into a cell with, they're toxic, right? Nobody will tell you anyway. Otherwise, it's a known toxic system, um, delivery system. Wow. And so, you know, you're taking a risk with them regardless of what you're doing. And they're toxic because they're positively charged. Now, every cell in our body is negatively charged and RNA and DNA are negatively charged. So if you have foreign DNA or RNA in your body, the cell uh, membrane is going to protect you from it because it's negatively charged. So it will repel yeah. it. But they've just put that into a positively charged lipid. And that positively wow. charged lipid is going to get attracted to the cells. There's a whole load of important proteins that sit as like things to help receptors on the surface of the membrane, which will just get blasted away by that arrival of that positive charge. And it will impact. And then it merges with the membrane. So now you've got a cell membrane that's not negatively charged anymore. Um, mm. And the, what really matters is that's kind of all OK if that cell ends up dead. So if it then delivers the RNA and it makes a foreign protein and the immune system comes along and it kills a cell, it doesn't really matter what other damage you did to that cell. But there's a study going on at McGill University at the moment, which only began in 2023, to figure out how many of the lipid nanoparticles didn't have any mRNA in it at all. They didn't know. Well, nobody knows. Right. Wow. I mean, we were told when when they were uh, rolled out that the what whatever the 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 um the genetic material the mRNA would just stay in your arm. It wouldn't move around the body, and then it would yeah be dispersed, and you know it would do its job, and then you know a couple of days it would all go away. But I mean, again, to me that was ridiculous because how could you know that? I mean, there's been no testing of this. There's been no observation, no empirical observation at all. Yeah. If that had been true, if it had just stayed in your arm, your immune response to it wouldn't be very good. So so actually, mm. if you dig into their own sort of sales pitch to the science community rather than the one they gave to the public, mm. then the methodology was all around how, you know, you've stuck a load of liquid into what's mostly mm. the extracellular space of the muscle. So high pressure, sore arm, and that's going to get drained away either into the venous mm. system or into the lymphatics. And the stuff that goes into the lymphatics uh, gets to the lymph node and educates the cells in the lymph node. And then you, that's how you develop an immune memory. So it was actually mm. dependent on leaving the arm from the beginning. But the reality right. is it goes, it goes far from the arm. So if it's in the veins, then in the lymphatics, 
all you know, immediately affecting the circulatory system. The lymphatics mm. drain and then the all of it drains right up to just close to your heart, and then all of that fluid just gets dumped at a rate of like four liters an hour into practically straight into your heart. <laughs> so wow. you know it's pretty much a, a shortcut from your arm into your heart and then from there to the lungs and from there to the rest of your body and all the while in the vessels. So the cells that are most likely to get exposed apart from your arm muscle cells are the ones lining your, your vessels, the endothelial mm. cells. And of course, that's why we've seen the pathology that we've seen because yeah. those cells have a role to play in every organ. You know, they are in every organ and they are in, in particular organs, they create this important barrier. So there's a barrier in the brain, in the ovary, in the testis, in the placenta, which what those cells are responsible for maintaining, which stops pathogens coming in and it stops, you know, chemical sort of imbalance, um, but it also protects them from the immune system. And so once you start damaging those cells, you're asking for trouble all over the body. It, it sounds like an absolute nightmare. I mean, I, I thought that from the beginning, but I'm so glad that I didn't take one, to be honest, and I, I resisted the propaganda. And I know people who, who have, and nobody I know now who has not taken one of these injections is unhappy. Everybody is happy um, and, and glad that they didn't take one if they didn't take one. But I've heard so many stories about people who have had all kinds of complications and really their lives have been destroyed by these injections have you have you do you know anyone personally or have you heard any stories about people you know who have been affected by what we call vaccine injuries so i mean i've met a lot of them because of what mm. i'm doing you know so i know yeah, a lot yeah. of them now and and the reality is that their lives have been affected on so many different levels you know obviously their health has been affected and very often that means their job has been affected and sometimes that has meant their family life has been affected and then all of that has happened in an environment where they were pariahs they weren't allowed to tell their stories and you know people hated them for, for the what they represented mm. and so they had no emotional support from their communities. They've had very little healthcare support from the healthcare system. I mean, honestly, these people have been treated absolutely appallingly. And mm. they have no legal support. You know, that the, yeah. you'd think that given all of that, there would be some kind of legal way of tackling it, but actually they can't get legal support either. You know, this is disturbing because there there is a, a compensation scheme, but it's very very hard to for people to actually get money from this compensation scheme. And it's, even if you do get any compensation, it's only one hundred and twenty thousand pounds for the rest of your life. You're supposed to survive for the rest of your life with the vaccine injuries with just one hundred and twenty thousand pounds and pay for all your extra health care and extra expenses that you would need for being disabled. And 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 then. On top of that, the taxpayers pay. It's you and I who are paying. It's not the vaccine manufacturers who are paying. And I think the whole situation is completely unjust with, with this is, whole compensation scheme. And yeah. Yeah, the problem with that scheme is that it, it it wasn't looked at for a long, long time. You know, we hadn't had a problem yeah. with vaccine damage. So that number is historic and hadn't been yeah. brought up to um, and then on top of that, the purpose of that vaccine damage payment was to give people something to live off while while they were getting ready to sue the companies and also potentially mm. something to help them do the suing with. But, you know, the, the idea was it was a stopgap to help them sue the companies. But the legislation at the moment is 
Well, you know, you kind of theoretically can sue them, although you can't really get legal support very mm. easily. And that if you do sue them, the companies have indemnity, which means that, again, it's you and I that would put the bill. But, you know, actually, to be honest, I'm, I'm yeah. happy to put um, and the politicians can change that situation. You know, they are in a position where right. they can say, like, this is unjust, actually. Well, I certainly would if I got into a position of power, obviously trying to do that, um, if we can do with the Heritage Party, and we would we would bring justice to these people and we would put the manufacturers on the hook for the damage that they've done because uh, you know, they 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 must have done this in full knowledge of the, you know, the results that they got with internal testing showing I think Pfizer had nine pages of side effects in their report that they 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 showed. And uh, so, you know, people would have known about this, but we were kept in the dark. But for in many many ways so, look claire thank you so much for joining me on the show i wish we could talk more because there's so much to talk about and you have a, a fantastic knowledge of the science and you explain it very well to our, our viewers so thanks for coming and joining me on the show claire thanks for having me david really good to see you and um, we'll be back after the break this is today's news talk tnt Give me a minute with tnt radio's steve malsberg well the gals of the view were at it again this time defending the Biden family dog commander after it was revealed that the dog had been viciously attacking Secret Service agents for a long time. His name is Commander. The report found that there were at least, this is a lot, this is a lot. 24 <laughs> incidents of him biting folks. <laughs> Well, it makes you wonder, what did he see that nobody else saw? Yeah, right? Really, Whoopi? Well, she wasn't finished, and she wasn't the only one on the View panel to make a fool of herself. All you gotta do is look at him. Look, look at, at him. Can you show that picture again? Look at his He's like, that's boy. right. Yeah. I'm walking. Listen I'm walking here. Him. I'm walking here. Yeah. Woo, woo. Listen to his name, Commander. That's He's right. in charge. He's I'm a, a bite giant. He's a guard dog. <laughs> right. you know, that's, that's why ooh, ooh, it's, right. I, I think people don't understand. You know, a lot of people just don't understand. Some things when it comes to dogs, it's just innate. It's part of their nature. Leave it to Sonny. Are you kidding us? Are you really kidding us? It's their nature? Whose dog goes around attacking people? Yours? Mine? Unbelievable. And if this had been Donald Trump as president and his family dog attacked Secret Service agents, harming them, hurting them, causing them to get stitches, and you know what? They'd be saying Donald Trump should lose his Secret Service protection. What a joke. Thanks for giving me a minute. I'm Steve Malsberg. Catch my show Monday through Friday, 9 p.m. Eastern, right here on TNT. Hi, I'm Susan Lucci. I never thought about heart disease until I had my own heart event. I had a 90% blockage in my main artery and a 75% blockage in the adjacent artery. I received two stents in my arteries, stents developed through research funded by the American Heart Association. Those stents saved my life. Learn more about the American Heart Association's life-saving work at helpheart.org. Focused on the facts. David Curtin on today's News Talk, TNT.
Welcome back to the David Curtin Show here on today's News Talk TNT. Now, Dr. Claire Craig from Heart is still with me. We've been having a really good conversation about the appalling way that people have been treated during lockdowns and injections and, and all of the psychological manipulation that's been done by the government, by pharmaceutical companies, by behavioral psychology units and so on. Um, Claire, welcome back to the show. Um, I'd like to ask you at the moment, <laughs> thank you. I'd like to ask you at the moment, with this now a COVID inquiry going on and um it but it doesn't look like it's actually asking any decent questions that are going to get to the heart of the matter I mean and the, the evidence that people are, are giving the, the answers that people are, are giving to the questions seems to be of the nature of oh if it happened again we should lock down harder and faster and sooner I mean there's, there's no sort of recognition that lockdowns were wrong and in trying to inject everybody was wrong it's going the other way than what i i think it should do have you have you been taking note of the covid inquiry that's going on and and uh and and, and if so what what kind of questions do you think they should be asking of the people who were involved well well yeah absolutely i have i have so many questions that i would be asking <laughs> myself so many questions and like I mean I'm not familiar with the law behind how public inquiries are set up but mm. I, you know, I've tried to figure it out and they have this idea that you can be a core participant and as a core participant you actually get represented by a barrister and you can be putting questions to the witnesses and so mm. when you look at who they've invited to be core participants it tells you all you need to know because we've applied to be core participants and we've been rejected and you're like well you know actually we could be putting some really interesting questions to those witnesses but the people who are our core participants are people like neil ferguson who then oh. i get to put a witness statement in and he gets to cross-examine me on my witness statement but nobody proper cross-examines him on his you know it's all completely topsy-turvy and the whole thing was mm. summarized really when um when um Oh, goodness, her name's just escaped me. Hallett. Dame Hallett said, um, well, it, I'll tell you what she's talking about later, but she just said, well, if there is no evidence of harm, then there must surely be a benefit. Also, I can't remember exactly the wording she said, but she was basically <laughs> saying, you know, well, you know, if, if the harm isn't really an issue, then the, then we of course we would do it regardless. And she was talking mm. about masking, but that approach seems to be something you could sort of extrapolate to the whole thing, that their, their way of thinking is we must do everything just in case. And of course, doing mm. stuff is what causes the harm. You know, that that's just, and, and we've always known that, you know, we have this idea of the precautionary principle that you don't go charging in doing stuff. You always mm. wait and wait and make sure and test and, you know, just be really, really careful because everything you do will cause mm. unexpected harm in some way or another that's just the nature of complex systems that we live in yeah but one of the things they could have done is prescribe known antivirals like hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin which have known and have been known over many decades to you know have a, a general antiviral effect but but those things were banned in a way they did they disappeared off the shelves you couldn't get them um, and i mean what do you think about those the whole approach was really utterly illogical i mean it wasn't mm. logic that was driving it we know that but but mm. you know so with the vaccines you're going to go and do an intervention with healthy people you need to be very 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 careful about mm. doing something to healthy people but 
if you take people who are sick with COVID, you know, all people with comorbidities in hospital with COVID, and any one of them does have actually a fair, you know, their odds aren't, they've got a chance of dying, right? It's not like it wasn't Mm. as presented. They're more likely to survive pretty much at any age than die. But nevertheless, there's a chance they're going to die. Somebody with a chance of dying, then you try out these drugs that are otherwise safe because actually Mm. the upside is going to be better than the downside because you know that they're basically safe. It's unlikely they're unsafe in this scenario. They Mm. might be, but, you know, it's unlikely. And there's a likely benefit. And so the way that those simple, cheap treatments were dealt with tells its own whole story about the approach Mm. to this because it was utterly immoral how that happened and how the people who were advocating for those drugs were treated as well really awful um and and Mm. so when you look at it through that one lens you see the whole thing through a very different light because it made no sense doing like that it just it was inverting principles to not give people a chance to live when they're dying yeah, well, I mean, I I used my voice in whatever way I could to advocate for those things and to um, speak against lockdowns, to speak against coerced and mandatory vaccinations. But I was banned numerous times off social media platforms for doing so, and uh, and you know, essentially shut up and censored. That's how we were treated. And there were calls actually at some point. I remember sitting in the London Assembly, and uh, there was one time the Deem Nadim Zahawi came to speak to us, and. And they didn't even want to let me ask a question. I had to interrupt at the very end, which is quite embarrassing. And I asked him a question about these injections and saying, well, there, there's been some severe adverse health effects in Norway. And this was very early on in when they'd administered there. And then the reaction from the other assembly members was like, they did one of them did this like to the chairman another one was waving their arms around the chairman cut me off and stopped me from speaking and then later on in the meeting um someone asked you know shouldn't we put people in prison who are spreading misinformation i mean this was from an elected assembly member who normally is very friendly to me um so the response was absolutely you know deranged in a way well, I, think, I think the way to understand that response the only way I can really understand the response, and obviously you're, mm. that's only one example of many of mm. that sort mm. of approach, is that the vaccines were being treated as if they were holy. And I know mm. that sounds slightly bunkers, but actually <laughs> everything starts to make sense when you see it like that, that, you know, people like us, we were blasphemers, we get excommunicated. <laughs> and then people who are the vaccine injured, they're the apostates because they're showing up the whole religion. And so they, they're even mm. worse than blasphemers. And so, and it does actually start to make sense when you see it through a religious lens that that people, you know, this was a this was a sacred cow, and um, mm. people were worshiping a, a golden calf, whichever way you want to put it. And um, and you know, what happens when you do that is it all goes to shit, and that's what's exactly what's happened. Mm. It's a false god and a false religion, isn't it? But that's a really good way of looking at it because they did bring out almost new rituals, didn't they? When the yeah. first happened, you you went out at eight o'clock on a Thursday and clapped for the NHS, which is like, I that's what I thought. This is like this, it's like a new religion. Yeah, yeah. And I think some of that, like if you were deliberately trying to bring in a new religion, you would do a lot of the things that were done. Mm. So things like you no know, cults start off in a, in a climate of fear that's how you do it you mm. get people scared and then they follow their fear inside their gut instead of following their mm. natural gut instincts and and that's how you manipulate people and that's how you manipulate a population and that's what was done
Indeed, indeed. So heart has been amazing, you know, over the whole time. But what about now? What What is your focus now? Because, you know, we kind of come out of lockdowns. There's been two years. People aren't getting COVID boosters much anymore. I think even people that were, you know, taken in by that in 2021, 2022 have now given up on that. But but what what do you see, you know, what are you doing now? Where's your your action of focus and, and fight these days? So um, that's that's so there's multifaceted still, and we're really, really mm. busy still. So on the yeah. one hand, with <laughs> publishing our weekly bulletins because actually the story really hasn't stopped there's stuff coming out mm. every single week more and more truth to be revealed and so we're still publishing on that on a weekly basis mm. i'm trying to write the whole thing up i still haven't finished it because we promised second mm. book about the vaccines which is nearly there so that's keeping me busy mm. <laughs> but looking to the future what we're trying to do is figure out a way of getting justice for the people who've been injured because that's mm critical to the whole thing and it's critical to ensuring that you know it doesn't get swept on a rug and then repeated in the future and I think actually that's something that we will still be writing a lot about is the mm. pandemic preparedness industry which was responsible for really all that happened and there's a lot of people who are still bigging that up as being really important including people who are you know are vaccine skeptics who still as part of their vaccine skepticism they still think there was this terrible um, virus out there that we had to do something about. And, you know, so it's interesting, actually, depending on what point in the timeline people kind of woke up, a lot of them don't look at what went on before that point and they just sort of are looking forward. And so there's still an awful lot of education that needs to be done. And, um, mm. and you know, I think we have to just keep doing that. I know that for some people they'll think it's boring and old, but I'm not bored of it by any means. I think it's mm. really important. Well, I think we're in a lull because it, it's it's a long lull, but at the, behind the scenes, you've got the World Health Organization trying to bring in this new pandemic preparedness treaty or change the international health regulations 2005. I never heard of them until the whole lockdown period happens. But what they're trying to do is beef them up so that they will have um, control over government's health policies if they declare um, a global emergency. I mean, how how will that happen? If that happens, will that, do you think, how will that affect our nations if that does happen, do you think? But that is absolutely what they're trying to do. And, and my lawyer friends tell me quite convincingly that the reason the legal profession aren't up in arms about this is because for them, international law is just sort of fluff. You know, you ignore it. We're sovereign. We do our own laws. <laughs> um, but I, I'm just not completely convinced by that because I think any politician or movement that can point to the WHO and say they want this and it's in their regulations, that's incredibly right. powerful when you're saying that to the public. It's really powerful. And if you say, well, our government's not doing that and it's against WHO regulations, then that disempowers the government who are trying to do the right thing by the people. So even if it's not legally enforceable, it's an incredibly powerful thing that they're trying to do. And, and what's really tricky, of course, is that WHO's image in most people's minds, as it was in mine for most of my life, is mm. really benign, super benign. You know, they, they mm. go and they get they help people get clean water, they help the health of children in Africa, all these great causes. And actually what they've become is far from benign. They really are a malign institution hidden in, you know, sheep's clothing. And they're led by a malign man as well. Who's, you know, he's got mm. a, 
you know, he's got a history that you wouldn't expect for, for a start. He's not a doctor, um, but, <laughs> right. but his history in politics and what he's done in his life is, is not pretty. Yeah, Ted Ross, isn't it? The whole world seems to be led, or the, the policies of the whole world is being led by these people who are not health experts. You've got, you got him, Ted Ross, you've got Bill Gates. Obviously, we've got in America, you've got Dr. Fauci, who's a, a doctor of some kind, but you know, I, I wouldn't trust him with my life, you know. And, uh, uh, you know, it's absolutely appalling. We're, we're totally against this um, World Health Organization Pandemic Preparedness Treaty. I think this would. Yeah, as you said, Claire, the governments would implement it. And then if you had a government that was sympathetic to the WHO and imposing more restrictions and more tyranny, they would say, OK, we're in it. We're going to do this. And uh, and therefore, that would give them an excuse to impose more regulations and more lockdowns. Uh, we need to avoid that. Anyway, Claire, thank you so much for coming on to the show with me and staying for uh, a long, long time, uh, 40 minutes. It's been really great to have you with us. Thanks for having me, David. All right. That's brilliant. Thanks so much. And I will see you again, our viewers, next week here on The David Curtin Show and on TNT. Today's News Talk. Have a great weekend.